Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce Happy Veterans Day This show is dedicated to all those men and women out there who have been fighting for our freedom now and in the past. God bless you, and God bless America. And I would like to dedicate this to my very special nephew, Dominique Poissel, in the Air Force, and his uh, father-in-law, Jeffrey Lambert, Saul Tappan, Harry Ross, Harry Goldberg, Kenneth Goldberg, my father, David Swerloff, who didn't have to go into the Marines, but he did, Bill Bagley, and my nephew, who's a staff sergeant, Robbie Ranke, to all of you, and more stay safe. Thank God you're here. And Steve Giblin is a former Navy SEAL, and John Land is here, and his book, their book, Walking in Mud, is absolutely 10 stars. So good morning, and welcome, mm-hmm. and thank you so much for doing this. I am really excited. Thank you, Fran. Thank you for having me. A pleasure, Fran. We're glad to be here. John, you're the best. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I brought a friend today. I mean, it's not just you and I. You know, we got we got a third person to talk to. I am so honored that he came on today because his book really is very important. So, Steve, why did you decide to share your story? And, John, why did you decide to co-author it with him? I felt it was. I felt it was an important. Uh, it was important to help convey uh, these ten essential qualities and how it pertains yeah. to what's happening now. Um, you know, COVID, political upheaval, polarization, on and on. And from my perspective, friend, I mm-hmm. have done a book called Overcoming. You may recall. I think we did a show on it um, yes. about you know about a year ago. Uh, a little, little less than a year ago, and one of the chapters in a book dedicated to overcoming adversity was on Steve, and it was on 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 post traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I got to know him there, and in some at some point in our conversations for that chapter, he used the phrase "walking in mud," um, and right then I saw it as the title of the book. And I knew there was a book there. And that's how it all started. I'm glad it did. I'll tell you something. The 10 essential qualities of underworld with demolition, maybe Steve will read them out afterwards or whenever we want to read them. They're so powerful. And at the end of each chapter, he puts this there, and then he gives you the medical, mental health and a whole bunch more that help anybody uh, overcome anything. So, Steve, why did you decide to become a Navy SEAL and your journeys before? This was a really powerful story. I I didn't even know about the SEALs or what a frogman was. I thought they were just kind of mm-hmm. mythical, uh, you know, creatures when I joined the Navy. Uh, I ran into or ran into uh, – there was a, a 
uh, what they call a uh, almost a recruiter, if you will, for the for the SEAL teams that was assigned to uh, recruit training command San Diego, and he actually gave us our first physical training test as as new recruits. Uh, so I I did very well on it, and I I give that credit to my father for uh, you know making sure that we were physically in shape, you know, all throughout our, our, our life. And so this guy asked me afterwards, you know, well, what are you going to do in my Navy? Uh, which I also mm-hmm. found kind of powerful. He had ownership of the Navy. And um, I told him what I was going to do, and he asked me if I wanted to be a SEAL. And I, it's, it piqued my interest. He showed me uh, the recruiting video, uh, Men with Green mm-hmm. Faces. Anybody can look it up on YouTube. And uh, that just... That that I was hooked. I wanted it really, really bad. Unfortunately, wasn't I wasn't difficult to though. First. Oh, wasn't it yeah, hard? The training and yeah. everything must have been horrible. Really hard. Not horrible. Uh, it was very yeah. rewarding, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I I enjoyed that kind of thing. I really did. So sort of a oh, masochistic wow. <laughs> way. You, yeah. you are uh, great. I loved Let it. me tell you. So why did you focus? <laughs> and I have them in front of me. And, you know, usually, Steve, when I finish reading a book and I interview the author, I give it away. I'm not giving this one away at all. Uh-uh. Because <laughs> at the end of every chapter, I mean, seriously, everybody gets where they feel on their things are unfair or they feel responsibility or they feel sad or they need pride. And every single one, common sense is the most important one at the end, people. Seriously. Um <laughs> I, I was like I'm reading each one of them, and then you you give like a, a whole bunch of more whole bunch more things at the end of each chapter that you can explain each one. So how did you what did how did you come up with them? And they're so straight to the point. I love them really. You know when when we were looking at the structure of the book, it wasn't uh-huh. you know everything came organically. I think Steve would agree there. There's nothing we forced. You know we didn't go into the the the, the project. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, with a with with a preconceived notion of what of what the book was going to look like, it mm-hmm. evolved over time. And you know, as I mentioned, the title "Walking in Mud" was um, really the thing that 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 cued me into the fact there was there was a book for just that title alone. But there's actually, you know, you mentioned the ten qualities um, yeah. of an underwater frogman. What really grabbed me. And what I think sets Steve's story – there's a lot that sets Steve's story, uh, Steve's story apart, not the least of which on Veterans Day is 28 years mm-hmm. uh, serving yeah. in, in, the, in, you know, with the Navy, the vast bulk of that in special operations, in the Naval Special Warfare Division. Um, so that – but there was also the story of how this – document came into Steve's possession. And I'm not, I yeah. can't do that story justice. Steve is the one who needs to tell that story. And as soon as I heard this story, it's like, wow, this is the background for, for a book. There, we had to write the book after I heard this story. So I'll turn it over to Steve on that one. Yeah, tell us about that document. That was interesting. That's what caught me too. Well, so when you, any one of the services, when you go into, you know, recruit training, uh, whether it be for the Navy, Marine Corps, Army, Air Force, uh, you learn, you know, your creed, your, you know, uh, you learn these basic 
uh, you know, rules to live by while you're in the military. And when I found this page in the old desk of my commanding officer, because he was getting a new desk as we moved into the new building. So there I was cleaning it out, and I looked at this, and I thought, wow, you know, this thing is, not only is it old, but, uh, it, you know, and I found out the history behind it. There's plenty of old frogmen there that could tell me all of this. Mm-hmm. But it was something that really stuck with me and looking at this. And it is very simple. It is. He broke it down into mm-hmm. something that, I mean, you just you read it and you're like, okay, this is how I need to, this is how I need to act. This is how I need to behave. And of all the creeds and codes and everything that I looked up and I really – did a lot of research, of, you know, for myself years ago into this. This is still the one that just jumps out at me the most. This is this is really great because I love what the end says. You know, what does it mean for you in a prescription for healing? And you know, everybody has negative talk, and you can't listen to that. And when you wrote in, check in with yourself. Sometimes I do have to stop and think. Okay. You need to you need to restream, you need to turn it around, and you need to rethink what you're doing. And all of these, I was thinking, seriously, what would happen if you decide to put all of these 10 Frogman rules and the prescription for healing and what it means for yourself into a handbook that people could actually have and, and buy separately so that they could have something to help themselves with? That's just my thought for the day. Hmm. I am actually in the process, and I've already passed this on to John, it's not so much a handbook as a second book, but I, I can very easily do a handbook, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's so easy to do. It's, you know, the second book uh, is actually called Frogman Rules. Uh, that's oh, good. what I would like to call it. <laughs> yes, John, what he wants um, so, to call it. I'm sure he'll come up with something else and make sure, you know, you, some of his characters are pretty strong, too. They could probably help mm-hmm, you out. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, who helps? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get the second book, right? I mean, just don't leave me with absolutely. the first one hanging. Absolutely. Oh, this this there's hope in the world for me. <laughs> so <laughs> who helps support your journey, and how in the introduction, which I have memorized over here, did you talk about the new normal and the parallel to COVID? You and John can explain that. And how has it changed life because of it? And I really wish that virus would take a hike somewhere John you well wanna, you know you I think sure when you start when you talk about COVID um, yeah. other things that have happened to the to this country and you can go through any number of game-changing tragedies you know 9-11 Columbine they mm-hmm. they have resulted in change but they have not resulted in even 9-11 9-11 would be closest to COVID in the sense that it resulted in, in systemic change. In everything we did, walking down the street and cameras are watching us, going through the airport took two hours instead of 20 minutes. Nothing, everything changed, and it was systemic, but it didn't change the way we lived from day to day. It just meant we had to get to the airport earlier. That's pretty much it. But with COVID, with COVID, what we yeah. have is a paradigm shift. Nothing is going back to the way it was before COVID. That wasn't right. true, even with 9-11. No. With no. COVID, everything we do in our lives for the foreseeable future is going 
to be different, not just in, in our everyday interactions with trying to find stuff in stores. That's going to go away. It's going to take some time, but that's going to go away. What's not going to go away is um, the notion that the jobs that went away, the people who lost their livelihood, mm-hmm. they're not coming mm-hmm. back. They're not coming back. The changes in office space where people are now going to be working for have a choice to work from home. Um, mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Well, it means cities are going to have all this real estate that's going to be empty. That's going to change things. Uh, people are going to look, be looking for a different way to live, a different place to live, because no longer are their homes going to just be places where they sleep. It's going to, they're going to be places where they work, places where they live, um, um, not just sleep. So, and I, the other thing I believe is that we don't even understand all the societal changes, all the systemic changes that mm-hmm. yet that are going to result from COVID. Um, and the other thing, the other thing COVID has done that isn't going anywhere is it has shined a bright spotlight on the divisions in this country, mm-hmm. um, on the fact that everything has become political. Uh, vaccines have become political. The disease has become political. Whether you wear masks has become political. And the great mm-hmm. thing about our book is it addresses how you deal with that. But it doesn't take a stand. There isn't. This is a book for all politics, for all cultures, all creeds, all nationalities. Mm-hmm. Because what we've done with Walking in Mud, Steve and I, is we've created something that everyone can relate to. Everyone walks in mud at some point in their lives. Everybody gets bogged down by minutia, by debt or by personal relationship mm-hmm. issues. Um, we're haunted. We lose what we love, and, and we know we can't get it back, so you're looking to replace it. Um, how do you deal with these kind of crises? So I would say that walking in mud is mm-hmm. inspired by COVID. But, friend, you just made a great point. It's not limited to COVID. It can be adapted to anyone's yeah. life and anyone's problems. You know what's really sad is that I walk outside in the street, which is, you know, trying to get a, get a handle on my next whatever I want to write, if I ever write everything. No one smiles. And it's like a faceless world. That's what I call it. Everybody's wearing a mask, or the ones that are smart enough to want to wear a mask. You walk into some of the stores, and I go into the bakery in the morning, and I stand 10 feet away because the owners feel that because they're vaccinated that they don't need masks. And I try to explain to them, you're not immune to this thing. It's going to come back. You don't know. And I feel my heart goes out to kids, especially that they have to sit in school with a mask all day, and they don't get a chance to have the culture to go on trips to enjoy gym, to have them. In, they have to eat lunches in their classroom. That that's what kills me. So, in page thirteen, see, I got this totally totally organized. I think page thirteen, these lessons are listed. Know your own confidence and let people be their true selves. I, I wonder about that sometimes because sometimes you just I, like I said, walk in the street, nobody says good morning, nobody even knows you, and persuade through questions. How did you come up with that? How do we get people to realize that even though COVID and it should only rot somewhere? 
past. Um, it, it bothers me because I know it's never going to go away. It's going to be here forever. How do we get people to realize that there's still people and that we're one nation and that we've got to stick together? And I know, and I can understand what you're saying about vaccines because I have family in Florida that are not vaccinated, and I had to do the hardest thing, John and Steve, that I had to do was tell them that they couldn't come here. My niece wanted to come here. She's in the music business. Her song's dropping in January. She wanted to come, and I said, you can't because you weren't vaccinated. She was invited invited to the MTV Awards. They told her she couldn't come because she was not vaccinated. Her mother isn't either, so I understand that. So how do you make people realize that this is so important without, you know, sticking your idea in them but making them realize that what the president is doing, he's trying to help, not hurt? It's... And you couldn't have captured it better. This is something, you know, it's, it's, it's national security. And, and when people think of national yeah. security, they think of, they think of the military, they think of weaponization of, you know, certain things or, you know, our, our service members overseas standing at the ready. Well, we have to stand at the ready here in the yeah. United States, in the continental United States, and to do that best, we need to make sure that we're healthy and that we have, you know, that we create resilience within the country in order for us to be able to go out and do the other things that we do in the world, you know, humanitarian aid, things like that. We need to do our own humanitarian aid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that, that is- I really think it's, you know, talking to people you know, we've got, God, good God, we've got people with road rage. Uh, I watched two grown men mm-hmm. almost go to blows in the hardware store because one guy wasn't wearing a mask and the other guy confronted him on it. Um, you know, and I just, I witnessed this, you know, behavior that just really blew me away. And uh, we have to take a step back and look at the the greater picture and what we as Americans believe we need to, you know, how we need to move forward. And like John said, John John really captured it very well. Uh, Oh, yeah. This new normal that we're in, this is it, people. We are not going back to the way that we used to be pre-COVID. You're right. We drive through the streets here, and it breaks my heart because – the pizza place um, that I got my pizza, the only pizza I can eat ever, went out because of <laughs> oh no they, because because of Ida and because they can't afford to come back here, and they were traveling. I mean, he he'd made the best pizza in the world, Felix. All the revenue pizza can't be stopped. I have gone to ten different pizza places and only found one that uses fat-free mozzarella cheese, and the pizza's okay, not great, but it's better than nothing. I mean, that, that's the saddest thing in the world. Um, there's a whole bunch of places that are out of business, and no one's putting anything in there right this minute. And it's, and it's hurtful. It's hard. And we're pretty yeah. in a nice neighborhood. Thank God the bakery didn't go out, but the bagel place got hit. Huh. So I don't know if they're ever coming back. This, this, right. this is sad. So how would you say quality and responsibility how has COVID come into play for people with PTSD and then enacted? I mean, how do we make people realize that it's not going away and people are deconstructing themselves and they're not even they're not even attempting to understand that vaccination is your choice, but 
think about I think I think there was something on my email the other day that certain places you will not be allowed in airports and stuff and they're trying to have also um, when they go into into Broadway in Manhattan that kids have to be vaccinated too. So I mean I don't know what else it's it's scary. How well, do, what do we do? So people need to understand that they have a responsibility first to themselves and their immediate circle of family and friends. And then, it, you know, the ripple effect is out to their community. And no matter how you feel about it, hopes or not, people are dying from this thing. We are over 750,000 yeah. Americans have died from COVID. I know. And, you know, the, the PTSD, people, people tend to put PTSD into a box and that it's, you know, it's restricted to veterans only until something happens to them, and then they're wondering why they feel the way that they feel, and Mm -hmm. it's PTSD, and doing that self-check, and if you know somebody that is suffering from PTSD and they haven't acknowledged it, you need to help them out because they have, you know, getting help is so important for this. Mm -hmm. you know, checking in on friends, your your personal your personal network of friends and neighbors, and uh, again, you know, taking that step back and, and realizing what it is that this country has gone through and the world has gone through. I don't so, blame my brother. Yeah, lost I mean, three jobs with this thing, and he finally got one after God. three years of being out of work. He finally got something. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I, it breaks just, my heart. He worked for. Um, an entertainment thing, and the people were kind of corrupt, so they closed the state closed them, and he worked there, and he got COVID because they didn't wear masks and they weren't vaccinated. Fortunately, his family wow. is vaccinated, but he got and got a job working as a manager of some kind of big restaurant, and yet he, I, I'm afraid to go there because of all this going of, of all this that's going on. Of course, everybody's everywhere. So, right. the, my favorite part is I love the prescription for health. And like you said, focus on mental health specialists. It's hard to know the right person, that you have to feel comfortable with the right person, and you have to know that you can speak to that person fully and they're not going to repeat what you say to anyone else. And when you said to reach out to loved ones, yeah, my cousin is in the hospital because they yelled at her and I told her to go because she was really wow. not doing well. Yeah, yeah she she decided yeah. she would, you know, wanted to come here because her granddaughter's birthday is next month, and I said, but if you're dead, you can't come. So she's there now. Right. Hopefully they'll, yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? What can I tell you? So you, 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 you know, I reached Fran, out, I reached out to, what can I say, John? <laughs> you, you know, Fran, I think you just made another great point, and you used the word fear. And yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's one thing to be scared of what you can see and what you know. Yeah. It's another thing to be scared by what you don't know and what you don't yeah. see. And yep. or 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 just so I, I think that this is um people are scared of the unknown, of, of what's yep. out there. Um where you can't what's out there beyond the ridge, you know, um beyond beyond the the horizon. And what COVID has done is it has robbed us of certainty. It has robbed us of 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 just being mundane, of just taking everything for granted. I mean, did we ever think about, do we ever worry before about 
what we were going to find when we walked into a grocery store, what we weren't going to find. I mean, um, you know, you, you mentioned some stores in your area that have closed. And, and this is the other part about the paradigm shift. You know, yeah. how, do ma- how do we survive? How do, how do small businesses, mom and pop shops, survive when, when they have to pay more for help or can't get help mm-hmm. at all? When their suppliers can't deliver what they need. Because remember, Walmart and Amazon are always going to be able to get what they need because they're so yep. big. But a little mom and pop shop that, re- that has been relying on the same couple suppliers for their furniture or their stationery or their crystal, they've been, they've been doing these, you know, business with these suppliers forever. But now the suppliers can't get what they need to make the product. And the people who are supplying the suppliers can't get what they need to take the – so the entire supply chain, everything has been so disrupted. And when you talk about post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like whiplash. And what we have because of COVID, uh, you know, is a nation that, is, that has PTSD. They may not, mm-hmm. like Steve said, great point. You don't know what it is because you've never experienced it before. But there are tens of thousands of people in this country who are suffering from a form of PTSD that is definitely inspired by COVID. You're 100% right. You know what's even really sadder is I went to call my favorite deli two weeks ago, and they sold it. I was in tears. And I texted the guy that owns it, and he said, we can't get the supplies, and they knew that. He said that we, we have to go to the supermarket to buy stuff. We can't get what we want. So there's somebody else that bought it. And it's very hard, as everybody knows, of course, whatever, to, to get anything. You know the only places you can get into? I called my doctor's office to ask him a question if I can come up and get something done. He said, talk to me in March. I said, you have to be kidding me. Urgent cares are overflowing. You can't even get in there to get anything done because there are like 30, 40 people coming for COVID tests every single day, except, of course, if it's me and I call up and say, friends on her way, and they say, don't worry about it. No, I'm serious. <laughs> it's like they figure, they, because they think I'm famous. What do I know? <laughs> what can I say? But this, this, is, this is the one thing that I find, and I'm listening to people outside, and I can't stand the negativity. And this girl walked into... Um, the bakery the other day, and she was so pretty. And I said, my God, you look beautiful. I'm so so nice to meet you. And she looked at me, she said, nobody says anything nice anymore. <laughs> so why do people blame others for their mistakes? And what about people that are not getting medical tests and mammograms and stuff? And that's the truth. Because, like, I called my doctor. I needed my bloods done for whatever reason. And I went to urgent care to get it done because he said, talk to me. I said, I've been going to you for 90,000 years. So why do people, why do doctors do that, and why do people blame others for their mistakes instead of saying, yeah, I made a mistake? What's so bad about that? Well, it's, uh, you know, our our society, that's kind of what we've become. Um, you know, placing placing blame somewhere else other than, you know, owning owning your own mistakes and, uh, you know, and, and moving on, accepting responsibility for your actions. It goes yeah. it goes a long way. It really does. It goes a long way. Um, and you know, geez, like you said, just even greeting people 
and treating people with, you know, respect yeah. and the way that, you know, they, the way you want to be treated, treating people the same way. Uh, a lot of people seem to have forgotten that. A lot of people are just plain rude and walking in. I mean, they walk into stores and I go, you know, I'll say good morning to the pharmacist or I'll say hi to the people behind the desk and they'll say, hi, we're glad you're here. And then these people just like bark at them. And I said, do you realize that without them, you wouldn't get what you need? Maybe if they told you you can't come in here without smiling under the mask, you'd feel a whole lot better, (laughs) different. I mean, seriously, I yeah. called the Bagel Dell. I never called them before. And I asked the girl on the phone, could you please make me these two things the way I can have them? And I went in and she said to me, no problem. Anything you need, call me at 6 o'clock in the morning and I'll have it done. And I said to her, I can't believe that there's somebody in the world that actually is so kind to do that. I was like, oh, my God, there's, there's hope in the world somewhere. So the other thing that bothered me is that you talk about women who serve and you say, don't feel sorry for yourself. There's a poor girl that's working for a construction company. I see her every morning. She's holding the pole that says, slow or stop. Mm-hmm. And she's just standing there. Yeah, for, for the last three months, she's been standing there saying, slow or stop. They haven't, the guys don't talk to her. They haven't taught her anything. She's probably getting paid a lot of money to just stand there, and she doesn't smile. So how are women treated differently in, in, the, in the service? And you're right. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Do something about it. My wife served 24 years in the Navy and then went on to civil service. And we, we, both, we both shared uh, you know, the privilege of serving with uh, the one character in the book that uh, Pete, the guy that lost mm-hmm. his leg, um, he was actually her commanding officer at one point as well. And Pete was great at even, and this was even before he ever lost his leg, um, one of the most stoic personalities I had ever met in my life. And, um, you know, if you made a mistake or you were feeling sorry for yourself, he would confront you on it and tell you, look, you got five minutes to feel bad about what you did or how yeah. you feel. And then you have to move on because if you don't, you're just going to, you're just going to wallow in that self pity and it gets you absolutely nowhere. It gets you nowhere. If you don't like your situation, move on, change it. It sounds mm-hmm. very simple, but it sets the wheels in motion to take responsibility of your own life. Um, I and agree I, with I you. worked for. I had an, I had another CEO that told me one time. He asked me how it was going, and I sort of started kind of whining to him a little bit, I guess. And he stopped me midway, and he said. Listen, nobody takes care of you better than you. So if you want to change this, mm-hmm. you know, you're the only one that's going to change it. And I've, yeah. I've lived by that, you know, for the remainder of my adult life. But you're right. My father once said to me, look in the mirror and realize that the only person that's going to take care of you for the rest of your life is the person in the mirror because everybody else is going to disappear after a while. And if you can't that's handle right. it yourself... That is too bad. And he would say, and, he, and this is probably why I'm impossible to live with sometimes. Uh, he's, I learned if you want to know the answer to someone, get it yourself. And don't stop until you get the answer, no matter who you have to ask, no matter how many times you have to call, until you're happy with what you heard. You should have heard me yesterday. Yes. Seriously. Yeah. Yes. I mean, really. <laughs> you, you know, Craig. I, you know, I know. What, you, what you're getting at, what Steve just uh 
opened the door to is, is when you look, what made another thing that really attracted me to um, doing this book with Steve actually started in our very first correspondence. He sent me an email. Um, it was it was a long email. Steve will remember it. He's probably smiling right now. And it was, but it was it was bearing his soul. And the and the thing that sets Walking in Mud apart from other books in this space is that every lesson, all the, these ten qualities, uh, you know, the, the ten essential qualities of the frogman. It isn't just a list of stuff. It isn't just a, a how-to, a self-help, uh, here's how to make your life better. Steve is able to relate his experiences, um, his own experiences and those mm-hmm. of people he came into contact with um, in the SEALs in a very blunt, honest, self-effacing uh, way. Um, and that makes it easy for us to relate. Um we mentioned Pete, you know, uh, both you met, you know, uh, Steve mentioned Pete. Pete was an officer who lost his leg um, mm. and he wouldn't let losing his leg stop him. Not only did he continue to serve, he served as a SEAL missing um, his leg below the knee and went on to be a commander. And he was the commander. He was commanding uh, the development group, the green team, when they got Osama bin Laden. So mm. there's the commanding officer who was responsible for bringing down the greatest bad guy of our lifetimes, and he did it on one leg. My point being, if you're walking, and you know the metaphor continues, Pete was only able to walk in mud on one leg instead of two, and yet mm-hmm. nothing Stopped him. So when you when you look at the book, you look at examples of how not only Steve but other people he's met along the way in, in the anecdotes that help make our points. These people whose life lessons are applicable to everything we're going through now. Because you know what? I think if if Pete can lose a leg in a parachuting accident as a result of a parachuting accident mm-hmm. and come all the, not just all the way back, but beyond what he was before. Mm-hmm. That's the lesson. That's the model that those people, those of us or anyone out there who's struggling in this new normal that COVID has, has entrenched on all of us. If Pete can get by on one leg and, and do, and do even better than he was before, we can deal with COVID. We can deal with whatever COVID throws at us. We just need to find the strength, the resolve, and the resilience to do it. I think we have to remember that we're one country too, and that what is trying to people are trying to do is exactly that, and to get over it instead of these protests and stuff like that, where people are protesting about not wanting the vaccine or not wanting this, or they, this is unfair or that is unfair. I mean, think about the fact that if everyone in the whole world got vaccinated, maybe we wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. And how do we teach children how to deal with this? I mean, I think that children should read the book. I mean, teens, I think they should learn to read the book. I think they need to read the Frogman's Rules. I think they need to learn how to be speak to people. I think I need that people need to understand each other. 
I think fairness is great. Leadership, I think sincerity. I think really, how do you get kids to understand the message, and how do you get find a mentor that that you can deal with that helps you? Because that's the hardest thing in the world. I mean, there are days I just want to scream, and I miss my sister because she's not there, and my cousin better get well because she's the one I, that, that I, I yell to, and she's, I'm the one she yells to. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Right. My sister died 11 right. years ago, so we don't know why. My brother has his own issues, and I don't you know, burden anybody. But Hetty and I have been like sisters for the last 11 years since I lost mine. And how do you, how do you get a mentor, and how do you teach children? that they need to get along and that it's going to be okay, and then eventually maybe you'll go to school. The governor of New York State, New York City, New York State, um, just said, well, maybe in a couple of months after the holiday they won't need masks. I think that's a statement that she should have waited until she was sure. <laughs> what can I say? Yes. So what do you think? Yes. How do you teach kids how to deal with this? It's hard for them, I know. It, it starts, I, I believe it, you know, it absolutely starts at home. And then, you know, the teachers at school need to yeah. continue to carry that torch. But it's a daily routine. It is – there's no, there's no trade-offs. And having mm-hmm. kids is um, – you know, and raising kids is something that mm-hmm. is, you know, unfortunately for me, I was gone so much I didn't have that daily impact that I really wanted to have on mm-hmm. my kids. And it's true. I mean, they, they – they have to learn to, you know, be able to, you know, speak to somebody and take what they're saying as, you know, as being useful and, you know, seeing something through another person's yeah. eyes. But then those, those people that are talking to them, whether it be parents, a, you know, a babysitter or a teacher or whomever, uh, you know, they have, also have to be non-judgmental. They, you know, when I said earlier, people need to, learn how to speak to one another and treat each mm-hmm. other the way that yeah. they expect to be treated, that's, that also comes from a mentor. And, you know, I, I had some lapses in my life where I didn't have a mentor, and I really missed it. I didn't realize mm-hmm. how much I missed it until I discovered another mentor. And it was, it was a big relief. It was, you know, having that person that you can speak to and get some truly – uh, you know, guidance in your life or, or just a suggestion on how to do things, on how to take care of something. Uh, you know, it's a right. special relationship. It's a very well, special relationship. Well, my aunt was that way. My aunt died. I was like, I can't believe Aunt Tommy's not here. Because if you want a straight answer and you really want to know something, she would, she would explain it the right way. And the other person yeah. was my was my mother-in-law, Mom Lewis. When my sister died, I had Mom Lewis, and she died right after. And I said, "No, I have nobody," because my mom had Alzheimer's. And I and that right. was like, yeah, it's the hardest thing in the world. I'm wondering if for children, seriously, if teach. I taught for a long time, and I worked in a tough school in the Bronx. And my students are in touch with me on Facebook. They tell me I'm wonderful, and they and they and, I, and if they need help and they want to know something, they private message me, and I do help them. The kids, I help my nieces with their term papers and everything. But I wonder if these kids would write a, want to write a journal about how they feel and their feelings and expressions so they get it out and maybe even share it with their friends or maybe teachers could have them do a journal and just to write and, and, and be able to say, express their feelings, even if they don't read them out loud. It's just a thought right. as an educator. That, that, to me, that sounds like a great idea. You know, oh, when you talk about doubt, kids. Without a doubt, it's an outlet. 
you know, I, and I like Steve. You know, Steve would be better to weigh in on this, or or I'd like you know see what Steve thinks about this. But this is what we're dealing with now, and what kids are dealing with now, what adults are dealing with now, yeah. is an incredible amount of adversity. Um, That's right. You lose your sports teams. You have to wear a mask. Now it's getting better. Um, you know, remote learning, what they've been through, losing, you know, that year of school that was lost for a lot of people, in some cases more than a year. You're not getting that year back. And here's, here's the point I want to get at. We've raised a generation, the current generation, with you get trophies just for playing. If you fail a test, you take it again. Mm-hmm. If you don't like what you're learning, you know, you can go to the library because you're uncomfortable. You know, there are, there are catchphrases, and, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing at a time when parents are extremely involved in their children's education, often to mm-hmm. the detriment of the schools and their own children. But here's, the, here's what I want to get at. Have we raised, you know, these, were these kids that we're talking about uniquely unsuited to deal with something like COVID? Because adversity for them was an option. If you lose, you win. If you fail, you succeed. That's not reality. That's not the way the world is. It wasn't the way school was when I was there. So my question, or, or the point, maybe it's, it's more rhetorical, but I'd, I'd love to hear Steve weigh in. You know, have we raised a gen- are we raising a generation that is incapable of dealing with the kind of adversity that COVID has brought because They've never had to deal with any adversity before. Absolutely, absolutely. We have we have stepped. We have mm-hmm. not put our toe in that pool. We we're we're hit deep in that pool, and we're realizing that the deep end is really deep. And what do we do to you know change this? And unfortunately, you know we've got a generation now that is. Uh, in college or even out of college now, and uh, you know this this particular generation, I read an article that said they will have on average uh, before they retire ten different jobs, and because that's just the way they are, and they were encouraged to hey if you don't like this just move on and go find another job. Well, that's not really dealing with adversity. And that's not dealing with a situation at hand that maybe you just don't like the way that somebody talked to you one day at work or, you know, and it was your supervisor. Uh, You've got to be able to, you know, reflect on that and understand how you're going to deal with it. And that's that's what finding a mentor will do for you. I try to encourage my niece to do that also, I agree, because she went through a lot in school. And if not for me, she wouldn't have made it through high school. Because at this particular point, you know, no one, no one really cares. My other niece is going through college, but she has to go through remote, remote college. They don't go in. And it, it, right. it sort of kills the college experience. And she's taking um, respiratory therapy. And I'm doing very well oh helping gosh. her. Uh, I, I'm getting really good at it. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> and, yeah, because the professors, you know what I'm finding? I don't know if you have kids in college. I'm finding that the professors are not teaching. They're giving these assignments, and they expect them to do the assignment, but they're not expect, explaining how to do them. Or 
my favorite is the Khan Academy. Please rewrite the article in your own words, but don't use any of the words in the article or you will fail. For real. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. Oh, I, I, and this was, this was I, art and, and, and reading and someone on something else that I had to do for her, with her, uh, sociology. And do not use any, don't even write the name of the article. You have to come up with a different name. And I said, what about the name of the artist, like Caravaggio or Da Vinci or whatever, that you could use, but you can't write the name of the painting. You have to write the painting discussed in the article. And I asked, we asked them all. But it took like for days to do it. I mean, seriously, how, how do you how do you yeah. deal with that with remote learning and they're basically just not even teaching? She had to do um, an assignment. What do you think? Why did you take respiratory therapy and why would you turn off somebody's life support? And I said, shouldn't the teacher be discussing that in class? No, I mean, yeah. how has college education changed? Seriously, then they're missing out on so much. All four of my kids have gone through college, three of them have graduated college, and my my youngest has actually, she left college and went to a trade school. That's and all right. The, the, absolutely. She's got a fantastic career now, and mm-hmm. she, you know, but the, you know, I think that's something that's systemic throughout the higher education mm-hmm. uh, process, because even mm-hmm. before COVID, you know, my both two of my daughters expressed that exact sentiment to me, and that is the teachers aren't teaching; they're just demanding or handing mm-hmm. out an assignment, and then not not bringing, not walking you through the assignment. Mm-hmm. And they, it's what are they really taking away from that? All they're really taking away is, boy, that was a really difficult assignment. <laughs> you know. Uh, and I got a D on it. You know, I don't know. Um, so this is something that even the professors in college need to understand and need to be mm-hmm. able to walk back and, and say, okay, me as an educator, the impact that I have on these young adults is mm-hmm. enormous. They, 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 a lot of them don't realize that, and some of them take advantage of that. Some mm-hmm. of them try to, you know, they use up the class time to express their political viewpoints, and if you disagree with them, you're ostracized. Well, you have to be careful when you're writing a term paper that you have an idea of what the professor's viewpoint is. I know that from my nephew. My nephew graduated quite yes. a number of years ago, and he's doing extremely well, and he would call me up and he said to me, "We wrote. I would help him write it together, but he basically wrote it, and he had something to do with women that get attacked by men and are raped. And the professor said it's their fault. And we wrote, oh that, my God. you know, it's, yeah, we wrote that it was not his fault that, you know, why, why would somebody purposely ask for it? And the way the professor worded it, I said, you know what, we're going to have to write this over and come up with common ground. Then he asked it because he had to write it over. My niece's professor, she was doing um, a thing on A Rose for Emily by Faulkner. And the, the, she taped what the, what the professor said to her. This is great, but all the rest of that is blank, blank crap. And you need to do it over because you had three commas that were missing. I was like, that is oh. not how you, yeah, right? I would soon do that, right? So <laughs> before I forget, Monday, the author of 20 Miles Show will be there. On two, on Wednesday, somebody, John, we know, Mel in Love. A, uh, Dana Perry, a.k.a. Dick Belsky, Silent Island. 
On the 18th, a panel show, we're going to talk about the dark side of the character. That should be fun. Um, the 22nd, Beneath the Marigolds. And on the 23rd, I am totally honored. She writes with Patterson, power of attorney Nancy Allen. What a great way. And on January 5th, I was in shock. I'm so excited. Mark Cameron, the author of Chain of Command and the Clancy series, is doing an hour with me at 12 o'clock on January 5th. What more can a girl ask for? What could I say? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I get shocked when I get all these people and I go like, my show is done until like April. So if anybody has a book coming out, let me know because I don't normally squeeze in three uh, shows in a week. But when it's Mark Cameron, how could I say no? I can't say no. So <laughs> anybody that's going into the military because it's Veterans Day, what would you tell them about branches of the military? If they go decide to go into the Army or the Navy or the Marines. Now, my father was 4F and he went into the Merchant Marines anyway, and it was an experience. But um, what, do you, what do you tell somebody that wants to join? Is it is it a good career? Is I mean, my nephew is going to be in for 20 years, 25 years, Robbie. And is it something that you would, you would recommend? Would you tell them to look for something else? What, what would you tell somebody that wants to do? You have to experience it for yourself, and mm -hmm. if you decide that you like it, by all means, make it a career. If you decide that you just want to do one hit, that's great, too. Life mm -hmm. in the military, it's, it's what you make it. It is an exclusive organization, and by the way, not everybody that, that goes into the recruiter's office gets accepted. It's like stepping mm -hmm. in yeah. to an interview but you didn't apply for that job when you went in for the interview. That first interview is with the recruiter, and the recruiters require, you know, their job is to basically conduct this interview and decide if you are able to take the next step forward. Um, life in the military is a completely different animal than what life in our, in our general society is. It's yeah. service to our nation. It's uh, it's a sacrifice of your time, your effort, your life, and it's a cliche. But they, you know, you do sign a blank check, saying, "Here I am. I'm ready to go do anything, and everything that my government asks of me." If you look at the list of every service member that we've lost since 9/11, the vast majority of them are in their early 20s. So our youth are who we have expended on, you know, fighting war. But that it's is the case sad. in war. That is the case in war. And people need to be prepared that not only are you going into the military to just hopefully get a skill that you can bring to the outside world, you know, bring to the civilian world, you are also setting yourself up for, you know, deploying overseas, going into okay. a combat zone. That's right. That's what's really scary. I know. I know. Um, you you lose you lose people. I lost people because of COVID. Uh, my doctor's wife, my eye doctor's wife, and I used to complain to each other and text each other. He didn't even know it. And um, when Vera died of COVID, and it was really weird because I went in to pick up my glasses, and they said that she wasn't there. And I said, Well, where is she? They said, You better get yourself tested because you were here two weeks ago. And she's got COVID, and I didn't know. 
So I did get tested. I got tested three times that week because they told me to, thank God. And I was with her for an hour and a half, you know, baloneying and not knowing. I knew she didn't feel it, but it, I didn't realize. I realized, that, oh, my God, she's got COVID. When she died a month later, yeah. I felt like I lost a sister. That was it's horrible. So many, so many people. So, John, what's next for you, and when am I getting it? I hope. Well, you already have uh, murder. Of the I'm, I've got it. And and that's next. Uh, my second in the capital crime series. Um, and you know, it was interesting <clears throat> as an author because, and this is something we can we can touch on a little bit when, when we talk, but. Um, how much of COVID do you, do you mention? Do you include? You wouldn't have left out 9/11 from a thriller. Um, just make believe it never happened. That the twin towers are still standing. It seemed to me disingenuous to ignore it, but I didn't want to focus on it because I had a sense that we'd be where we're going to be by February when the book comes out. That COVID wouldn't be in the rearview mirror but at least it would be further back and further removed and further under control. But I think something all fiction writers are going to struggle with a bit is, is how do you weave the post-COVID world and, and, the, yeah. and the after effects of COVID into your fiction. I mean, I think it made mm-hmm. the perfect, I think walking in mud because of COVID mm-hmm. is, it, I think it could have, this book could have worked at any time. Because mm-hmm. the problems it gets at and the people it's addressing and, you know, the advice it's providing and, and the life lessons it, it gives, they're applicable at any time. But COVID has lent a new relevance to all the things and all the points and all the themes that get raised in, in Walking in Mud. Um, and I think that's true of other books in this space, like Make Your Bed by Admiral, Admiral McRaven. Um, you know, life lessons that you can live by, things that you can fall back on. So, um, you know, on the one hand, in my nonfiction, in a book like Walking in Mud, I think COVID has, you know, has made a book like this perfectly timed. On the other hand, for my fiction uh, and for everyone's fiction, how do you deal Mm -hmm. with it within? People do not want to read books about COVID. They've been living it for No, neither do I. You know, uh, the last thing they want is to deal with COVID um, in fiction, um, because enough is enough, in fact. But we'll see. Well, actually, if I get a murder mystery about it, I tuck it. I, you know, I got, I read one the other day before we end. That's on the Holocaust, um, discovering twins by um, Stella Terry Hart, and it's a hard one for me too because my grandmother was in a concentration camp. But I'm glad I read it. It was one of the most heartfelt stories to let people know that it really did happen. She has pictures of over 200 people in her family that were cremated. And she has the pictures of them oh before. Gosh. Yeah, and it was over 1,000. And I, somebody sent me the book. I'm, I'm telling you, they just send me these things. They don't tell me I'm going to get them. As a matter of fact, the publicist said, would you read it? But it was there that day. I said, how did you know I was going to do it? I'm interviewing her in February because that's the only time I have left. And I want everybody to know that the Holocaust really did happen, <laughs> and COVID really is happening, but it doesn't have to affect your personality. You have to remember that there are other positive right. things. You know, just when I'm saying to myself, why did this happen to me again? Oh, God, why did I do that? How come I got this ridiculousness again? And then I turn around and I say, you know what, it could be much worse. I'll get over it. It's okay. No problem. Seriously. 
I mean, my, my, my latest thing is that I pulled a muscle on my right leg. I don't know how. If I knew how to do it, I would have done it. And yesterday you I said, okay, I'm going to go to. squats or something? What? I, I don't know how I did it. I, you know, actually, I know how I did it. I hate seatbelts, so I put the seatbelt under my knee and I pulled the muscle. You're not supposed oh. to put a seatbelt under your knee. And I went, <laughs> no. um, went to physical therapy two weeks ago, and I walked out and I said, never again. She addressed like 20 things I couldn't walk for three days. Yesterday, I went to somebody on my knees better. and only went once. Good. And I was like, miracles happen. You know, you just have to think about it. You're right. So, Steve, when is your book coming out? When am I getting it? No, seriously. December 7th. December 7th really? is publication date. Yes. Yes. Well, why do people not tell me these things? Okay. Well, that's um, Walking in I Mud. Have... Are you asking about Steve's other book, Fran? The other oh. one. The other one. Walking in Mud. Oh, good. I have time oh. to publish pu- 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 uh, post Frogman something. Rules? Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping Frogman Rules will be maybe this time next year. I don't know yet. I have to talk to Postal Press with some help from John. Hmm. Well, that's good. And, John, when is Caitlin Strong coming? Because you know I can't live without her. She's so like me. Well, I'm so like her. Uh, Caitlin is taking some time off. Oh, that's no fun. We'll talk more about that in February. Yes, we will. February 15th at 10 o'clock, people. It's in my schedule with a whole bunch more people. But this was so informative. I really wish that COVID would go away. Um, this is dedicated, like I said, to all veterans, all women and men who have given their lives and ev- and everybody's family. But the one thing I've been saying at the end of every my show, some people agree, some people disagree, but it's just me. If you see somebody and and you want to say something, say something kind. If you see somebody and you're walking in the street and they look nice, what's the deal if you say to them, where did you get that? You look lovely. I do that a lot. An act of kindness is really nice, and if we all started to do that, maybe the virus would realize you're the only negative thing in the world and would take a hike somewhere else. It would be really mm-hmm. nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Amen to that. So thank you so much. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe. Think positive. And anything that happens to you, just remember, it, it can only get better. Everybody, have a great day. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, John. And bye. Thanks, friend. Thank With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.